You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello, and welcome to our next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, the director for LCMS Church Planting, and it's great to have you with us. Today also, as my co-host, is the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, who is the manager for LCMS Church Planting. Welcome back, Mark. It's always good to be here. And today we have a special guest with us. We have the Reverend Dr. Heath Trampy. And today, uh, Dr. Trampy will be talking to us about congregational involvement and what that means for new church charts. So welcome, uh, Heath, to join us today. Hey, thanks, guys. It's really nice to be here. So congregational involvement for starting new churches. Um, and we asked uh, Dr. Trampy to be with us because not only does he serve as the senior pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church, but he actually did some doctoral work on what it is to form servant leaders and how to increase involvement in your church. And we think that's a vital part, actually, for planting new churches. And uh, to be honest, that's one of the exciting things about planting churches is that uh, you don't come into a new church start with a core group of people and everybody already has all their assignments and they've been doing it for the last 50 years. But instead, it's kind of a new start for everybody. So even people that are new to the church, um, even new to the faith, uh, can almost immediately become involved. And I think you can be intentional about that as well. And just my real quick uh, example of that, I'll, I'll remember uh, very fondly, we were meeting in a uh, cafeteria of a school and we set it up to be a beautiful, sacred space, but it did require taking the chairs down. And so we were done with the service and I couldn't help but notice that we had a guest with us, uh, did not have a church, had joined us as a visitor with somebody um, that he knew. And as soon as the service was done, I walked over to him and I said, hey, would you be willing to help us take down chairs? And his eyes got huge. He couldn't believe, you know, here he was, this stranger, and he was already being asked to be involved in the church. And that really meant a lot to him. And I think it affected his decision uh, to join us in the congregation. So we want to talk about how you can be intentional in your congregational involvement, even in church planting. And again, um, Dr. Trampy, you've done quite a bit of work on this, even at the doctoral level. And I know one of the things you talk about are the five factors. So can you tell us a little bit more about what are the five factors of involvement? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, just, a, just a little bit of, of uh, context to my ministry setting. So I'm, I'm now serving my second church that began as a mission plant. Um, I served one in Nebraska, and now I'm serving one in Minot, North Dakota. Um, and uh, both churches still had that that sort of missional flair that I, I suppose is, is generally there at the beginning of a planted church. But my research actually comes from what I would call almost the opposite of a mission plant. It was a 160-year-old congregation of over 2,000 people in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I served as uh, the associate pastor. And what we had noticed is, um, you know, we, we've heard of the, is it the Pareto? Is that how you say his name? Pareto principle, Pareto principle. Um, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Well, we did a little digging and a little research and found that 
um, about 9% of our congregation was doing almost everything. And, uh, you know, 9% of a congregation that size is still between 150 to 200 people, but it was burning people out and it was keeping people um, out of the loop because they weren't being utilized. And so we did sort of a deep dive as part of my um, doctoral uh, work. And uh, my dissertation was called Forming Servant Leaders, um, Increasing Congregational Involvement in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We were looking at what gets some people involved and others, um, you know, they remain inactive. And what we tend to do is we tend to think, well, you know, Joe, Joe Johnson, using a random example, he, he's just the kind of guy that gets involved. But, uh, you know, his wife, Sue, she's just the kind of person that doesn't. And we almost give that that involvement uh, like a pixie dust quality, like there's nothing you can do about it. it just, it's there or it's not. And so what we found is there are some best practices and some factors that can move that needle. And the first one is expectations of leadership by laity. So that means listening as leaders to what the laity have to tell us. Um, congregational identity. So what is our congregational identity? What makes us different than the church down the road um, that, that may be Missouri Synod or the Methodist Church or the Roman Catholic Church? What gives our church its unique fingerprint? Congregational connections. How are these dear people connected to our congregation? That gentleman that you asked to help move chairs, you know, for all I know, he had no connection to the congregation at all. Um, but in a lot of our churches, people are cousins or good friends or coworkers, and, and knowing that definitely helps. Um, life factors. So where is this person at in their life right now? Uh, many of us have heard of the sandwich generation where people are taking care of their children and their parents at the same time. Uh, coincidentally, that, that group tends to not be as involved uh, as a rule in, in the church because they are so busy. And then finally, number five, expectations of laity by leadership. How are we articulating what we I don't want to use the word expect because that's a little heavy handed, but what we hope people will be um, engaged in in our congregation. So those are the, the five factors we found. Very good. And then flowing from those five factors also, you talk a little bit about what you refer to as a progression. Um, can you explain to us how does this progress into connecting and growing and sharing then? Sure. So if you Google search Connect, Grow, Share, you'll find infinite varieties of this being used by churches. And it's not the only thing that, that can be effective. But we found that by creating an intentional movement, um, specifically in our case from worship. So we started with the premise that worship was our biggest activity, our, our most attended activity. And I would say for most congregations, that's probably going to ring pretty true. You know, even if you're getting 100 people in worship, that's still more than you're getting in Bible study, and that's still more than you're getting for service projects. And so our initial goal was how do we get people from that connecting in worship to growing in their study of the, the word? And in the process of that, the study of the world in which we live as Christians. And then how do we get them into that mindset of sharing, um, sharing what they've learned, sharing what they know um, so that others can take part in it as well? So you really do see an, an outreach element um, in that progression. Um, but we also found that there are many people who worship and that's really all they do. And so getting intentional about bringing people from one to the next was, was a key goal of ours as well. That's awesome. And uh, I'm going to bring in Mark here also. I know, Mark, you've been involved in church planting and as a mission executive as well. Uh, probably when we were more involved with this, uh, 
the word that would be used is assimilation. And mm -hmm. that's kind of a word that we shied away. And I think, Mark, you had a good, good kind of phrase, biblical idea of what it is to bring somebody into the church and get them involved. What was that? Well, I'm kind of reminded of how St. Paul put it uh, when he said when we're being grafted in, um, you know, when he talked about, uh, you know, how, how some were cut off, uh, referring to the nation of Israel, but how we were grafted into the vine. So um, that's kind of the process too. you know, that uh, because we're sinners, we really don't belong to it. But by God's grace, we get connected. And, and then kind of from there, we grow, as uh, Pastor Trampy was saying. Yeah, very good. And I think, too, uh, the church plan has a real tight family feel to it. And I think that's one of the exciting parts also is that when you think about making disciples for life, this is really focused in on the for life, not only to bring people into the church and the church plant, but to also really make them part of the family. And so when we talk about connecting and growing and sharing, I think we are talking about grafting people onto that family tree and also that we are really connecting them uh, to be part of this new family. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Uh, Heath, can you tell us how do we then connect? Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. And I love that uh, analogy of, of grafting. That, that is a, a wonderful, lively example. Um, so we connect uh, primarily in, in worship um, as we gather together to receive God's forgiveness and his gifts of word and sacrament to, to praise him. And I, you know, with, with the mission planted church, you may have uh, different styles of worship, you know, perhaps you're a uh, divine service uh, only congregation, perhaps you're using more of a creative worship or, or a contemporary style worship. But regardless of the style of worship, um, we could get into how we teach divine service versus how we would teach uh, the, the more contemporary worship. But it, it's all about helping people understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and that may not be a huge concern if people are flocking to the congregation and, and excited about what is happening there. Um, but even so, you've got new people coming in, that, that gentleman who had, had shown up that one day, you know, helping him understand why this is important and precious to us and, and what it is that keeps us coming back week after week to do that. Um, and so in the midst of all of that, whether it's in the preaching or the announcements, or if you have a, a slideshow, I've always had screens in the congregations I've served that have given us an, an extra element of, of awareness for people, uh, the printed materials, helping people understand that worship is one of many things the congregation is about. And so each church is different and each church I've served is different. Um, but I, I had an opportunity in Nebraska to sort of start with a clean slate. Um, they were a congregation who um, had been a bit ill-served by my predecessor and were ready to, to do something new and fresh. And so we decided we were going to give people two pieces of paper on Sunday morning. Uh, one was going to be the bulletin, and the bulletin was, was kind of in outline form because everything else was either up on the screens or they could use their hymnals. But the other thing was uh, what we called the faith notes. And we had determined that the, the monthly newsletter model really wasn't necessary for our congregation. Uh, we could give people a weekly news source. It ended up being an 11 by 17 sheet of paper that was folded in half. You know, sometimes you'll go to like a diner or something and they'll, they'll have those little news newsletters that you can look through. And it had all of the news information in it, but also had some, some really great welcome information for people who were guests or, or just plain visitors. Maybe nobody had invited them, but they had shown up on their own. 
And then it, it laid out who was helping that morning. So it, it would tell you, oh, that's the person that greeted me. Their name is uh, Dwayne. That's great. I'm glad to know that. It would also have um, all the prayers listed in it. It would have the week at a glance. So everything was in basically two sheets of paper that you could take home. And we would be very deliberate about saying, if you turn to page one and look at this section, you can see this. And that helped people who weren't used to our congregation navigate um, that information very easily. And they were constantly being reminded that we had a very special thing that we wanted to do after worship. And this was a weekly thing. We would get together for what we called coffee hour. Now, coffee hour was more like 25 minutes, but there were fresh baked treats. There was good coffee, great conversation. We had a, a nice fellowship hall that they could meet in, but any space could work for this. Um, and uh, we slowly, while I was there, worked to make coffee hour lead into Bible study. And I can get into that when we get into grow. But knowing that people will show up primarily in many cases to worship, um, how do we help people understand that our church is about more than just worship, even though it's so important? That was a big thing for us uh, in Nebraska. So before we get into the growing, do you have any more suggestions? Again, this is making disciples for life, and it's not only connecting, but keep keeping people connected. And how do we then stay connected and maybe even go beyond connected? Yes. Um, so one thing is, you know, I talked about expectations, bookending the five factors of involvement. And so we can only listen to so much on a Sunday morning, let's say, but we can articulate quite a bit. So outside of worship, how deliberate are we being about this church is very active in these ways? Um, and every congregation has its things that it's good at or the things that, that it comes to naturally. How do we help people understand that these are also a very integral part of what we do? So one thing that I noticed when I got to my last congregation is uh, there was only about six or seven people that would go to Bible class. And yet we would have 30 to 40 to 50 people come to our coffee hour. And what they were doing is they were competing at that point. And so we had to really think hard about how can we make this, this wonderful coffee hour that is absolutely a strength of the congregation, something that can encourage people to also be engaged in the study of God's word. And, and again, I'll get to that uh, shortly, but for people who may be listening and going, well, that doesn't sound like much. We were able to increase our Bible study from about seven to 60 uh, within about a year. And so I, I did see this really work. And a lot of it was just people saying, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Or oh, I didn't really feel invited to that in the past. Or, man, I thought I was going to show up and feel like a dummy. But, you know, you, you assuaged my fears that that would not happen. And sometimes it's just as simple as that, making sure it's in the written materials, making sure it's on the, the PowerPoint, if that's what you have, making sure the pastor is mentioning these things, maybe even making sure the greeters are telling people about these things. Very good. So let's talk about now we've got them connected. And that's a great example of uh, increasing your Bible study just by being intentional that way. But how then can we help them to grow? Right. And so when we talk about growth, uh, obviously numerical growth of the congregation is amazing and wonderful and, and nobody's dismissing that. But we're really talking about uh, vertical growth, uh, a growth of wisdom and understanding among the members that comes through that process of discipleship. Um, so the congregation I served in Nebraska was was pretty modestly sized, um, although maybe large by, by the standards of a brand new mission plant. Um, we had about 300 members when I arrived. 
and they were worshiping about um, 100 to 150 a week. So I did have a, a nice group to, to start with. But by the time I left, we were about 400 people with over 200 a week in worship. And, and again, Bible class had really boomed. And a lot of it was being intentional about what we were offering and, and thinking about the people that we were offering these things to. So this may sound very obvious, but um, having a variety of, of Bible study uh, opportunities is important. Um, I could list off lots of different individual things that we would offer to people each week. Um, one kind of fun one um, is we always had what was called a coffee conversations Bible study just right there in that printed material I mentioned earlier. And it was um, a, a Bible study on the hymn of the day. And it just asks specific questions about the hymn of the day. If you had a hymnal in your hand, all the better. But but even so, the, the questions were mostly driving you into the Bible to, to see where that hymn actually has its biblical mooring and roots. So lots of different ways that we can study individually if we don't choose to go to a group Bible study. Um, I think most of us uh, know that, that the small group model does work um, when it's done well. Getting people into to small groups of people where they can study the Bible together um, helps them feel connected, uh, gives them a sense of community that is very important. So, so I'm not dismissing that at all. But I'm also talking about that big corporate Bible study uh, for many churches happening on Sunday morning. Um, where, you know, we pastors just really want those who worship to also come to a study. You know, maybe it's on Revelation or Galatians, or maybe it's a topical study on religions or denominations. Um, how can we help people understand the importance of knowing these things? Uh, one thing I would do is um, I would preach on the topic. So if we were studying world religions and I knew we were going to be studying, let's say, Islam that day, I would work a little bit of a mention of that into my message just to pique people's interest that, my goodness, I might benefit from going to that and, and learning a little bit today. And, you know, maybe I can have some of my questions answered as well. So, so that's one thing. Um, but also, if you're really looking to have a Bible study with people in it, um, you need to know, do they have kids? And are they going to come to the class if they perceive that their kids are going to be running around wild or that there's no opportunities for their kids? You know, many churches have a Sunday school, but what do you do with those two-year-olds? You know, and, and, and I remember when my kids were two, uh, it was hard to control them. It, you, you couldn't control them, first of all. But if you left them with a, a relative stranger, things might get even worse. So how, do we, how are we sensitive to that father of that two-year-old who may really want to come and study Galatians with us, but he doesn't really feel like it's the right time in life for him to do that? Uh, another thing that seems, uh, you know, kind of on the nose, but, but we, we do have to talk about it, is feeding people, making sure people have good coffee, and, and good food. And the food doesn't have to be homemade. I know that's a lot of work. Um, most congregations have a, a couple of people there, though, that are, are good cooks or good bakers. So I don't think it always needs to be store-bought. But just having some cookies from Walmart and some coffee is, is a good start. Just so let's say your Bible study starts at 1030 or 1045, like mine always did. That's around the time a lot of us look down at our stomachs and go, I'm kind of hungry for lunch. And I know that if I leave the church right now, I'm probably not going to be eating until like 11 or 11.15. So maybe I ought to get out of here. Giving them that little added incentive to stay is also important. And then are, are, we, all, are we making it convenient and comfortable for people? You know, we obviously want them to learn a lot and we want the study to be high quality. But are we thinking about, you know, those little needs? Uh, you know, 
is everybody in the family cared for during that time? I found with a lot of families, at least in my last congregation, um, if you were able to find a good place for their kids to hang out while they were studying, it was one of the most relaxing hours of their week. So there's that as well. Very good. So that's nice to know there are some very practical things you can do in terms of helping people in their spiritual growth. But uh, Dr. Trampy, I know a new start can't do everything. What would you suggest in terms of how they go about prioritizing their growth? Sure. I really think that it starts with the way we introduce people to our congregation. Uh, in, in my setting in Nebraska, we were surprised. We were in a town of about 7,000 that was actually shrinking slowly while I was there. It was on a bit of a decline. But we kept having people move into town, and they would try the, the bigger church in town uh, with about 1,600 members, um, great church with, with really good pastors, and it was just a little big for them. So then they would try our congregation, which again was a mission plant, just planted in the 60s. Um, and uh, they would go, oh, this feels just right. But that's not enough to get them involved in the congregation. That's only enough to get them interested in becoming a member. So what do we do at that point? And uh, the, the process that we had sort of put together, if you want to give it you know, a title and a name and a framework, is My Church. And you would have like My Church 101. And then you would have a new member class, and, and I can talk a bit about that in a moment. And then you would have a, a follow-up event. We called it My Church 101.5, but that was just sort of a, a cute little placeholder title that never went away. And, and we, we created a, a sort of a, an environment where we were investing so much in our new members that they often would become some of our most active members. Um, and, and we also found that they would often encourage the, the more uh, established members to get involved in new and exciting ways. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that process if I could. Yeah, very good. Let's get into that. Okay. So when somebody expresses interest in your congregation, maybe they come to worship and, and you've done a, a really good job of expressing that this is a friendly congregation. Uh, we love getting new people um, in, our, in our pews or our chairs each week, and we really want you to be part of what we're doing here. I mean, that would mean a lot to us. Well, that's attractive to a lot of people. I can't tell you how many people have told me they've gone to a church, Missouri Synod or otherwise, and, and nobody's walked over to talk to them. And I can address that in a moment as well. But let's say they do say, hey, I like your church. I like your style. That was a good sermon. Um, I really enjoyed talking to so-and-so. Tell me more about membership. And so the first thing that, that I always like to do was My Church 101. And when we did this in Indiana, we would have such large groups of people who were interested in joining. We would have events like Tuesday night at 7, we're going to get these 10 people together to do this. But in a smaller setting like my, my setting in Nebraska, you're more or less talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, so you bring those people into your office, and maybe you have a, an elder or another member of the church there. Maybe you don't. It really depends on who they're connected with. If they've got a, a first cousin in the congregation, I'll probably include the first cousin. But you just sit down with them, and you talk with them about their background. You know, what's your what, what's your uh, you know interest in this town that you just moved to, or, or what made you interested in our congregation? And you dig into that a little bit, and you, you let them talk. And, uh, you know, my impulse, as you probably know from the podcast already, is just to keep talking because I'm a talker. Uh, but this was a good chance to really sit and listen and then listen for questions specifically and try to answer some of those questions so that they would feel comfortable either making the decision to transfer to your congregation 
or to go through a, a new member class. Now, not trying to, to shout out too many numbers here, we brought in about 150 people in five years um, using these methods in, in our church in Nebraska, and only two of them, only two out of 150 were completely unchurched, which meant most people had an idea of what the church was or is, but they didn't understand the congregation that they were talking to the pastor of. So I spent a lot of time articulating to them what made our congregation special. Uh, what made us tick? What did we feel like we were good at? And, and what were some areas that we felt we could improve upon? And I would always give them a little bit of a history of our congregation and talk to them about my predecessors and, and you know, what sorts of things they were passionate about. Because my feeling was it would take them about a month to see these things anyway. So by pointing it out to them, it made them feel like they had a little bit more of a grasp on the congregation. Um, we'd also talk a little bit about what sorts of things do you recognize in our congregation that we could be doing better? And that's a question that really kind of throws some people off because they're there to make the best impression they can make on you because they want to be part of your congregation. And now you're asking them, hey, is there something that you perceive that we could be doing better? When I got to that church in Nebraska, what I noticed is uh, because it was such a tight-knit group of people, um, they would sometimes only have the first name of the person you were supposed to contact in their materials. And so it might say, hey, uh, if you want to be part of the PACP club, and what in the world does that stand for? Uh, you know, contact Susie, no phone number, no last name. Well, if I'm new to the congregation, I might not be brave enough to ask, who's Susie and what is this club? And now the congregation has lost an opportunity to get me interested in something that I might really be uh, blessed by and a blessing to. Um, another thing that a lot of churches get accused of is being clicky or, um, you know, we, we don't, we're not very friendly on Sunday morning. And I just want to defend the people who may get accused of this. I don't think people go to church on Sunday morning planning on being, um, you know, clicky like a high school. Like, well, if you're new to this church, you're not going to say hi to me. It's more, you see your cousin, you see your coworker, maybe you see your folks and you ask them how the farm's doing, or how's business over there, or hey, did you, you know, did the rain mess mess anything up for you? And and it's unintentional. You know, we're not really trying to leave people out, but you got these folks you don't know, and then you got your second cousin over here. And you start talking to your second cousin. Meanwhile, those folks walk right on out. And so it, it's not about uh, demeaning people for maybe not reaching out naturally, but helping the congregation understand this is a prime opportunity right here. They just came to our worship service to say howdy to them, to ask them if they need anything, and to ask them if, if they'd like to be connected to the pastor or somebody else in the congregation. So people who visit our churches are much better about explaining that um, than maybe we would be at seeing it because we're so used to things. Hey, we just want to Promote all church planners. Uh, make sure you say howdy to people, even if you're not in Nebraska. <laughs> I was going to add too. <laughs> no, that's it, it, absolutely right. Um, I was going to add that uh, sometimes I think I've seen seeing eye dogs with uh, the sign that says "Don't pet me, I'm working." And when when we've tried to have people who are kind of in charge of greeting visitors, you know, they need one of those signs too because like their cousin or their friends or they go up to them and start talking. And then they're missing the opportunity to connect with people who are new. That's, that's a great point. And, and sometimes churches are so um, eager to be welcoming. They'll do something like, hey, can all the new people stand up right now? We got a present for you. And if, if those new people have even an ounce of a heart like I do, that's going to make them uncomfortable in their setting. 
and they're going to feel um, exposed. And they might not even stand up because, by golly, they don't want everybody looking at them. And so, you know, sometimes those efforts that we think are going to be so helpful don't work. It doesn't mean they're not worth trying. But just to encourage people who maybe have tried things in the past and they haven't worked so well, uh, there are other models for sure. Um, so this My Church 101 would be done with, with every single person that comes into your congregation. Uh, again, if you're in a smaller setting, I think talking to folks one-on-one -on -one is, is no problem. You know, a good hour, hour and a half conversation with people usually will get them settled to a point where they'll know if they want to be part of that congregation or not, or at least stick around and see what's going on. But after that, you know, let's say they are not Missouri Synod folks, uh, you know, you're going to want to bring them into a, a type of instruction. And so I do have some thoughts on what we might call a new member class or an adult information class, and I'd be happy to share that as well. Yeah, very good. Let's get into how to help our new members uh, grow as well. Sure. So at least my practice as a pastor is if, if a person is transferring from another LCMS congregation, I definitely want to have that initial great conversation with them. And I'll definitely invite them to be part of the adult information class, but I won't require it. Um, and, and so some people will say, you know, I just did one of those a couple years ago. I, I think I will pass on that. And so this would be for everybody who either needs it or desires to be in a new member class. And something I've done that, that maybe is common practice, but it has worked well for me, is I always invite some folks from the congregation who probably really know their stuff, uh, but, but who would like to meet the new members and who can be part of that class as well. So you always end up in, in my settings with about half to three quarters new members who need the class and about a quarter to half uh, people who are part of the congregation and just want to put the best face forward for the congregation. And those classes are a great opportunity for people to get to know each other. Um, but one way that we can really make those classes effective is to mind the two types of instruction um, that, that I've sort of encountered in my own research, which is didasco, using the Greek, and oikotome, um, instruction. And so didasco would be like what Paul mentions in Titus 3, uh, rather 2, Titus 2 verse 1, where he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And that's exactly what we're doing in, a, in an adult information class. Um, but uh, often this takes the form of, of our preaching from the pulpit. Um, the way we teach. Uh, I, I'm very prone to getting out a, a lectern and standing at the lectern and, and teaching. Uh, I like to use a whiteboard and that can come off very uh, college classroomy, uh, which appeals to some, but not to all. And so there's this other kind of instruction that we see in the scriptures, oikotome instruction. And this is what Paul mentions in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, when he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And I really see this happening in a, in a very pure and fun way on a mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip and, and maybe you're working on a house or you're helping people with a project and you really don't know what you're doing, but you're game for anything. And so as you go, you've got people kind of guiding you to learn this little process and walking you over here and talking to you about how this would work. And, and you're just sort of sharing life together and growing. And, and by the end of that you know, week or two weeks, you feel like you kind of know what you're doing. And it wasn't that you sat at a desk and, and learned in a, in a lecture format. You, you were doing it as you were learning it. And uh, you know, in, in many of our congregations, when we would have like, let's say, seventh and eighth grade confirmation, if you've ever taught seventh and eighth grade confirmation, you know, you bring a lot to it. Videos, games, 
food is always really popular. Um, you know, maybe little field trips. You're trying to make it as interactive and as varied as possible for these young people. So they understand not only that the doctrine and teaching is really important, but also that their church is a pretty cool place and their pastor is a pretty cool guy. And they want to be part of this moving forward with their lives. But then when we teach adults, oftentimes we revert to that lecture method. Um, we're going to make sure you get this information. I think a lot of times it happens because maybe we're trying to teach two years worth of information in 12 weeks um, because we don't think folks will stick around for longer than 12 weeks. And I'm not here to say whether they will or won't. But, but how can we learn from the way we teach the younger people in the way that we teach the older people? How, how can we be more uh, deliberate about um, how can I keep this person in the congregation beyond their instruction? Because we do know that oftentimes when um, young people get out of confirmation, you know, that's sort of the make it or break it moment as to whether they want to be part of that congregation as high schoolers and college students. And so how do we treat our new members that way? I, I know I'm as inclined as anyone to think, well, I've already got them. They're not going anywhere. But what we learned in our large congregation in Indiana is if we didn't connect them to something within the first year or so, we were much more likely to lose them after that. They would lose interest or lose connection and, and then they'd be gone. Very good. So we've we've helped them to get connected. Uh, we've helped them in their growth. Did you have any other thoughts for us about how once you've kind of gone through what you were talking about, the two types of teaching uh, to equip them, prepare them and to get them sent out? Uh, yes. So this is probably the, the crux of, of the new member method that I've tried that has worked really well for me personally um, and has worked well at, at uh, two different congregations. So not just in one setting either. And uh, we would call them Connect, Grow, Share events in Nebraska, but it's kind of like a My Church 102 or, or 101.5. So you've already sat down with the people and talked to them about what your congregation is and what makes it tick. And we're not so much talking about the, the Christian church here or even the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're just talking about our Savior Lutheran Church, Minot, or Faith Lutheran Church, York. Um, and so I always do this after adult information class. We would do it in groups, but then we would have to split off a little bit so people could, could have more intimate conversations. Um, but uh, we would do this uh, right before the new member Sunday. This was just a single event. We'd bring people together. We'd bring in maybe a couple elders and their wives, uh, maybe the chairman of the congregation and his family, and, and obviously the, the pastor and his kids and his wife, if, if applicable, so they could see these are just regular folks like us. And uh, we'd lay out different ways that they could get involved. Um, a lot of congregations have a time and talent sheet which lays out things the church does and gives people an opportunity to kind of fill out what they might be interested in. I'm not here to disparage that. You know, a lot of us roll our eyes when, when we hear the word time and talent sheet, but those can be useful if they're followed up on. But I do think that we can add to that a little bit. So we would give them a ministry catalog. And if anybody's interested in any of these materials, I'd love to make my email available and I can send them uh, sort of the, the standard templates for all of these things so they could use them if they'd like to. But we created a catalog that had all of our ministry opportunities, including types, uh, types and times of worship, types and time for Bible study, and then all of the service opportunities that we would do, all laid out in one little convenient booklet. And I would take them through that quickly so they could see, you know, if I want to get connected to this maybe in three months, then I could. 
But we would also sit down with them and show them all of the different groups that we had at the church. And we would encourage them to find one or two and to commit to them for a month and see if they like it. You know, if you've ever, you know, gone to the gym, you know that uh, the hardest part is getting to the gym. Once you're there, you're pretty much fine to work out. Uh, but that first step out the door can be really challenging. So just getting people to, to sit down with a group and, and kind of get acclimated. Um, we would uh, definitely want them to connect to people from the congregation outside of the pastor. One thing I've learned personally is that if I'm the main connection that person has to the congregation, and let's say I get busy with another group or, or I get invested in a project and they don't feel connected to me anymore, they might feel like they don't have a mooring in that congregation. But if they're connected to you know, one of the elders or, or a sweet family from the congregation, that's going to be a, a much stronger connection for them. And, and in a lot of our smaller rural congregations, we get that naturally through uh you know, familial relationships. Well, they got cousins in the congregation, but maybe in a church plant, we don't have that, you know, especially if it's more of a, of a city setting. Um, people may not have coworkers or, or family that are at the church. So how can we uh, encourage friendships uh, to blossom there? And so uh, the catalog has been helpful. And then we would interview everybody. We wanted them to tell us what they were interested in. We would get people who maybe were head elder at their last congregation and they were just burnt out. So I would not ask them to be an elder. You know, I would tell them, if you ever are interested in this, let us know. But is there something else you'd like to do around here? We had one guy that wanted to mow the lawn. You know, that that gave him peace. It, it, it filled his cup in a way that being an elder um, hadn't for some time. And he did end up being an elder, but it took him a while. You know, he, he didn't want to go right into that. Um, and I know I'm as inclined to anybody as to say, oh, you have a skill set. I want to put that skill set to use. Um, we also uh, had an IT specialist join our church uh, a few years back. And, you know, these guys and gals work at a premium. And so if a congregation gets somebody that has that skill set, you know, we want them to be our IT person. And maybe they want to, maybe they don't. Maybe they just don't want to do anything with IT over the weekend. They just want to worship and be part of other things that they're doing. And so knowing that uh, is important. And, and the way we're going to find out is to ask them. And, and to get invested in, in who they are. So we, we invented, invented, put together, slapped together, stole from other churches that were doing well, what we call the spark inventory. And it gave people a chance to say what made them tick and what sorts of things that they were invested in, what sorts of people groups were they excited about. And from there, we would help them find things in the congregation they might enjoy. Very good. So now we've connected, um, we've helped in the growth but what do we do in terms of sharing and why is sharing so significant? Yeah, so sharing is, uh, you know, this would be the going out and the doing. And, and some of that takes place on campus at the church. We know that. But a lot of it takes place in the community and even beyond the community. Um, I found this interesting little statistic, and, and I'll just share it in full. Hopefully it won't take very long. Research has shown that people retain 5% of what they hear in a lecture, which is kind of disappointing. I hope that's not exactly true. 30% of what they see demonstrated, 50% of what they discuss as a group, 75% of what they practice, and 90% of what they teach or use immediately. And so for me anyway, that, that tells me that if I can get people um, going out and, and sharing this knowledge that they've learned or, or sharing uh, their loving heart with somebody else, then that's going to deeply impact them as well. 
It's going to drive home things that we are teaching constantly at our church in a way that maybe hearing an extra good sermon won't, even though we do try to preach extra good sermons. And so the word that I like to use is vocation. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people probably know the difference between vocation and vacation, but there was a time when I didn't. So vocation is specifically um, the, the roles that we have in our lives, um, the people that God places in our lives for us to serve. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20, that we occupy a, a number of different stations or vocations at once. So I'm a Christian but I'm also a husband to my wife. I'm a father to my children. Um, you could go on and on. I'm a son to my parents, grandchild to my grandparents, but I'm also a parish pastor. Um, and so we have a, a variety of different roles that we're in where we can serve other people in, in sort of an intimate way and, and a knowledgeable way. And that helps us understand how important it is for us as Christians to share our faith at home with our families. Uh, in the large catechism, Luther mentions being a parent as you know, second only to that relationship between us and God. So, so quite a, a great um, responsibility there. But even if you're not a, a mom or a dad, you, know, you have coworkers and friends and family in your life that, that you have a special relationship with. If you were to go on the street corner in the city and, and just start reading the Gospel of John, you might get a few people interested in hearing more, but you're going to have a much better in with coworkers or friends or, or just anybody that you see all the time, and you've sort of earned the right to speak intimately with them. This could be the workplace as well. Um, and, uh, and so as we share, it's important for us to, to sort of know what our congregational identity is. Maybe we don't know what our congregational identity is, and we need to sit down with our leaders and figure it out, um, you know, do some strategic planning and, and do the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I mean, that's kind of actually fun stuff to do. So if you do need to do any of that, go for it. Great. But let's say you've already been through that and you know that your congregation is really good at outreach or your congregation has a great school. And, and this is your, your primary uh, outreach or, or, or service to the community. So we had a little bit of both in Nebraska. We were connected uh, by the school to the other congregation in our, in our small town of York. Um, and we had a, a preschool and we had a day school where my wife was the music teacher. And that was our primary work in the community. Sometimes we would forget that or we would grumble about it uh, because it was a huge commitment of, of, of resources and time. But understanding that it, it was crucial to our identity as a congregation helped us to redouble our efforts because every now and then something will come along that's just plain more fun. Uh, I had mentioned before we started recording um, a project that I undertook when I got to faith called the 50 for Faith. Um, I used to be a fairly competitive runner. I'm, I'm not anymore, although it's still something I love to do. And I had uh, learned that this congregation had never sent their youth on a mission trip before. And I, and I was working with the youth and they were awesome kids. And I knew that they would do great if we took them on a mission trip. And so to get people excited, I used one of the gifts that God had given me. And I said, okay, I have run one marathon and that was really hard for me. What if I were to run 50 miles? You know, would that be something you'd be interested and invested in um, to, to help the kids go on their first ever mission trip? And it might have fallen flat, but it didn't. People got really invested. Uh, the community uh, talked about it. 
And the congregation was excited and behind it. And we ended up raising a lot of money for that mission trip. And we ended up going on that mission trip. And, and I felt that the kids were really impacted by it. Um, so that was uh, a very exciting thing. But in the midst of that, my point being, we couldn't forget that we have this school. And it was such a vital and essential ministry to the community. So keeping that identity of your congregation in focus. Also, um, just being mindful of your connection to the community. So I would always go to the Winkle, uh, which is a grouping of pastors that get together from various congregations. And we talk shop and we study the Book of Concord and the Bible. And it ends up being a pretty fun time during the month. And by going to Winkle, you you learn okay, our congregation is not doing well in this area that this other congregation is really doing well in. Is that something that we should be doing better in? Or maybe that's just not our thing. Um, meanwhile, wow, we're way better at this than I'm hearing these other guys talk. Maybe we should really be focusing on that. Maybe I ought to talk to my leaders about that. So by, by learning what is going on in other congregations, that's a helpful tool. But also if your, con if your community has it, being part of a ministerial alliance. Uh, I was actually the vice chair on an alliance in, in York where uh, I believe it was a Pentecostal pastor uh, was the, the chair. And, you know, and you think maybe we wouldn't get along very well, but our group was focused almost entirely on benevolence and offering opportunities um, during the year, whether it be at parades or fairs, for people to understand that there was a, a vibrant church uh, community in their broader community. So he and I got along really well, and, and he taught me a lot about caring for people who are, are in dire straits, because that was something his congregation was really uh, good at. We were better at providing them with funding or some volunteers for the efforts that they had going. So it also showed me that we couldn't be all things to all people in that community, but maybe as a collective, the, the church could be, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I had the same exact experience myself. I uh, got to be the chairman down in Georgia for an association similar, and it was great to see how the congregations kind of all took their strengths and were able to combine forces. Mostly before I kind of took that role, it was focused more on like how could they do uh, Christmas events or some something like that. But this really focused on really helping the people in need in our community. And it was great to see the synergy, just how much more we could do together than apart. And I think you really laid it out well for some people that are kind of terrified of that big sharing that you're talking about, you know, but there's vocations. There are people that God has intentionally put in your life that you can share and it takes away that fear factor or there are those more grand uh, mission opportunities and mission work and even bigger collaborative efforts that God can allow for us to share as a church plant. So, yeah, I think you really uh, laid it out well for us how you can share corporately, how you can share individually and how you can use each of your God given vocations in your sharing. So appreciate that. So. I think we covered our bases of connecting and growing and sharing. Uh, so, Dr. Trampy, any, anything else that you want to help us to wrap this conversation up with? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you, by the way, for your kind words. Uh, I've got a couple of resources that I found really helpful to me as I was conducting my research, but, but also just going back through them and rereading them um, in the field, in, in, the, in the parish. One of them is called The New Breed. So that's the big block letter title. It's by Jonathan and Thomas McKee, a father and son team. 
The subtitle is Understanding and Equipping the 21st Century Volunteer. And the book is full of uh, respectful Christian uh, methods for getting people to volunteer for things in the congregation, not tricking them, but understanding that no doesn't always mean never. Um, understanding that face-to-face -face is more effective than uh, putting something on the website and explaining why. I thought it was a very helpful go-to guide. And then perhaps one of the most helpful books I read, and I've, I've often joked that if, you know, if my dissertation had been this good, I would have gotten it published and probably sold a lot of copies. It's called The Other 80%, and it's by Scott Tuma and Warren Bird. And uh, the subtitle is Turning Your Church's uh, Spectators into Active Participants. And they lay out over the course of many pages how to listen to the congregation and then how to lead from what you've learned from the listening. And it can be um, really any kind of congregation, a mission plant or an established church. And their argument is that 80% of the congregation is in a, a state of decline. Even those who are maybe chairman of the congregation or one of the elders, they're in their hearts, they're in a state of decline. Like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm, I'm stepping away. And how to be mindful of that, how to learn from them, and how to help the church moving forward, because uh, that, that can be kind of a devastating phenomenon for people. So-and-so is always so helpful, and now they don't want to do it anymore. And what am I going to do? This book lays that out very clearly and crisply. Very good. So we really do appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Trampy. It was an awesome conversation about how to get people active and your new start might be easier than you even think. Uh, highly recommend uh, your uh, notes that you've given to us. And if somebody wants to contact you, I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because uh, Dr. Trampy's just a cool dude. So, you know, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> martial arts, you know, running, uh, definitely my kind of guy and very active in the mission of the church and getting people involved in the mission of the church. All good stuff. And he mentioned his wife, too. Uh, great uh, couple. And they're both co-founders of the Lutheran Songbird Project. So highly recommend you check that out as well. Uh, also good stuff. And, uh, you know, a dad and doing all kinds of great things for the church and just really appreciate uh, having you with us. Just a word of encouragement, though, for all you church planters and all the folks that are in core groups that are in the midst of building up your congregation and a new start. Uh, don't dismiss anybody when it comes to involvement in a new church start. You will be extremely surprised. You know, I'll never forget doing a baptism for an 80-year-old man and how he just wanted to engage himself any way that he could. And so he just prayed for me. And that meant the world to me. I had a member of our core team who had a stroke and he was going to be one of the elders for the congregation uh, because he had done it for years. But then after he had his stroke, you know, he still wanted to be active. And so he helped us to fold our bulletins every single week. And I couldn't uh, be happier about that as well. We had whole families uh, that we would baptize that had no connection to the church. And the next thing you know, they're the ones that are helping to run the youth events and the uh, events we had in our community and just became a huge blessing to us as a congregation. Had people who were inactive, maybe people who had even been hurt by the church and had walked away and had multiple pastors in the area tell me, though, there's no way you're going to get that person involved in your congregation. And sure enough, you know, they became members of our boards or became an elder of the church. Uh, so don't be just surprised to see how God will not only bring people into your lives, but how he will engage them 
and your new start. And again, what's so wonderful about this is you're really starting to see a family come together. And, uh, you know, you see the hands and feet of Christ to really become the body of Christ in that place. So that's why this conversation is so important. We not only want to talk about how we can make new disciples, but how we make disciples for life. And not only that, how we make them part of the body of Christ and give them a blessed death in our family. So again, uh, Dr. Trampy, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you guys. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate being involved. Very good. And hey, Mark, thanks for helping with the discussion as always. My pleasure. All right. So make sure you uh, join us again and tell your friends about the Mission Field USA podcast. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.